Welcome to this bonus episode of the Delve into Money podcast. Today, we are doing a joint episode with the Financial Dads podcast. So let's jump right in. Welcome to the Delve Into Money podcast. I am your host, Curtis Haney. This is the personal finance podcast where we attempt to demystify money by reviewing books and applying what we learn to our own financial journeys. Hey, thank you so much for stopping by today. This is Curtis Haney, host of the Delve Into Money podcast. Today, we are doing a joint podcast with the Financial Dads who are Paul Fagan and Paul Becker. We got hooked up just through the financial podcasting community and uh, have ran some cross promotions and had some discussions. So we decided that we were going to do this joint podcast talking about Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey is an outsized figure in the personal finance community. And there is great stuff with Dave Ramsey, but there's also stuff that we personally don't agree with. So in today's episode, we talk about the good and the bad of Dave Ramsey and what we do that does not follow his system. I hope that you enjoy this podcast. So without further ado, here is the joint podcast between Financial Dads and Delve Into Money. Hey, everyone. Uh, welcome to the, uh, the first ever joint podcast, uh, Financial Dads and Delve Into Money. Um, today, we're going to focus on a topic that's near and dear to my heart, um, Dave Ramsey, the good, the bad, and everything in between. So um, my name is Paul Fagan, uh, and I'll go around the call. Paul, introduce yourself, and then Curtis, you go, and then we'll, we'll roll into the topics. Sure. This is Paul Becker. I'm one of the other financial dads that uh, does this with Fagan. And I am Curtis Haney, and I host the Delve Into Money podcast. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. So I think we're all like-minded here. We're all trying to get to the same goal, right? So I know that from a, for those new listeners, the Financial Dads is really just two dads with some kids, you know, living kind of a, uh, I guess maybe a middle class lifestyle, like trying to just struggle with all the financial stresses um, of uh, of life, right? Uh, kids' college savings and retirement savings and jobs and families and stuff like that. So, so Curtis, your podcast. Can you tell us a little bit what you do with your podcast so the audience can get some familiarity? Yeah. So, delve into money is I look. I'm an avid reader, so I'd look at books. Uh, typically non-financial books, and I try and find financial applications. And so I, uh, I, I take approach from that and, and try and help people uh, see things a little bit different ways. That's interesting. What was the last book? And forgive me, I have, I have, to, I have to like and subscribe and, 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 yeah. uh, and, and, and link into your podcast. But what's like the, what's, give me an example of um, one of the last podcasts you did around that. that that's, a, that's an interesting approach. Yeah, so the last one I did, uh, I think was released, just released, was uh, the one on, it's a book called Tiny Habits. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's uh, talking about uh, behavioral design and the way that you can, can work on your habits. And so I talk about how we use some of those principles from de- behavioral design to improve uh, the way we deal with our finances. Um, and so it's, it's a, a little bit of mindset, a little bit of practical 
and just kind of approach it from there. Cause I think, you know, money is very much, uh, very much a personal thing and we can learn and grow that. Very cool. Very cool. Okay, great. Well, you know what? Let's jump into the topics. And I think this was an interesting one, at least for me, uh, this Dave Ramsey, right? Um, the good, the bad, and everything in between. I- I'll kind of give a little bit of history on uh, how I found Dave and-, and-, and how it helped me change my financial future. Uh, many years ago, I, I was reading and-, and-, and, I- and looking at different financial personalities, whether it was Susie Orman or um, I think it, some of the other ones was the the guy, the millionaire next door. There, there was a couple of really good books, and they're all good books, and you could take away things from all of them. But the one thing that drove me crazy was that I couldn't find somebody that endorsed paying off the mortgage. I know that sounds crazy and kind of, you know, I kind of narrowly focused on that. And and I stumbled upon Dave Ramsey. That's like one of his baby steps is pay the mortgage off so you can move on, right? So that immediately attracted me to listening to him. And and over the years, I got a kick out of listening to him. I used to bot, I used to listen to his podcast daily, commuting back and forth into New York City. Uh, that was my morning commute was always with Dave. Um, I downloaded every episode I can get my hands on. Um, I read his books, uh, The Total Money Makeover. Um, I have some of his other books, but quite frankly, I haven't, I've only read fully The Total Money Makeover. <laughs> I haven't done anything else. And I still have the baby steps printed out somewhere hanging in my office. Yes, hanging in my office, uh, home office. I still have them here. So always an interesting approach. So so for me, Dave resonated with what I believed. Um, and I know I had a lot of people back then that were disputing my approach. But but for me, um, like anything else, personal finance is personal, and I don't think there's a right or wrong. So for me, um, it worked. Um, listening to Dave, listening to his mantras, listening to his teachings, uh, some of the other personalities he's had, uh, and, and, and he's grown his business quite a bit into quite the powerhouse. Um, I, know, I know, Paul, you're not as familiar with Dave Ramsey, um, and, and, and so, you know, I think that, you know, I'll kind of hand it over to Curtis. What's your background? How did you become familiar with Dave? Yeah, I grew up with Dave kind of being the one voice that I even knew existed for the longest time. So, oh. so I think we have a very similar, uh, uh approach in that that was kind of how I got introduced. That was kind of how I, um, framed my whole worldview on my finances when I first kind of got out into the world. Uh, and I actually even um, taught Dave Ramsey classes at uh, our church that we went that we went to. And um, it was from that that I really kind of struggled with some of the concepts or I guess kind of uh, some things that he said I didn't completely agree with as I started digging in. And so then I would add my own little commentary. And then I, uh, there was another guy that was helping and he suggested that we kind of put together our own little curriculum. So that's actually kind of what led to the podcast. So you could say Dave Ramsey is the whole reason I'm sitting here doing a podcast right now. Uh, and so he very much is someone that, that I respect and I, it's, you know, he has helped a ton of, ton of people, uh, but it's some of the little differences that, that I didn't necessarily agree with or like that, 
resulted in me thinking and digging in further. Yeah, and we'll definitely get into those. Um, I, I think that for me, his message was contagious. I had dinner yep. the other night with uh, two friends of mine. Um, one of them listens to the podcast. One is now going to be a new listener. I used to work with them for many years. And not realizing it, my friend still listens to my podcast. But more importantly, um, he listens to Dave Ramsey. And and I and, and it's very interesting um, that he does. So, you know, I turned him on to Dave Ramsey um, and, and he's been listening and, and enjoying his his content. I have given away the Total Money Makeover as as kind of a not the only wedding gift, but as like an additional little wedding gift. Right. With the envelope. Um, so people can kind of read it. Um, I did ask my wife to read Dave Ramsey when I kind of got into it. And, and you know how this goes, right, Curtis? Like once you find him, it becomes very addictive. And so I was like, I told my wife, hey, read this book. And, and she read it. Right. And, and, and I don't want to say reluctantly, but, um, you know, she read it because I asked her to. Um, and I think she really didn't see the value in the teachings till we started really knocking through those baby steps, right? And and yeah. and once again, just like you, Curtis, I, I have my own spin, and we'll get into that of, you know, kind of the good, the bad, the ugly, right, everything in between. So I think that's that's very, you know, very interesting. But I always look at these teachings, whether it's Susie Orman or Dave Ramsey or or, or any other personalities, like you're going to take some things away that you're, you're going to adapt and use and some things you – you'll kind of say, well, I kind of do it differently, right? And once again, I don't think there's a right or wrong approach to it. I'd love to hear a little bit about your, I guess, teaching financial, is it financial peace? Is that what you taught? Yep, we we taught that. I, I really enjoyed teaching that because it helped you have conversations with people. And I definitely gained value uh, from digging into that content. And and Dave is a super interesting listen. Uh, you know, he is someone who's super engaging. And I think he was probably the first one in the industry who really simplified everything and made it super easy to digest and just be able to follow these steps. And that was super valuable for the people when I was teaching the class because we saw people change their lives super dramatically because you just realize when you're teaching that a lot of the people that are in that class really, really struggle with money and really have a lot of hard decisions to make. And I was extremely fortunate in that. That was never my story is, is I went, got a degree and was able to get a good job, uh, because of some, uh, because of some money that we had with an accident we were in. I didn't even have to pay for college. So it was like, I just didn't even realize the struggles that people went through and seeing what Dave what Dave's message and what the financial peace class did for those people uh, was something that'll impact you and and definitely uh, still hold that very dear. Yeah, and I think for me it was really around. Um, I I didn't grow up with him, um, and I, when I started listening to Dave, um, I thought I was always good with money. Uh, but interestingly enough, you know, I think when I started listening, I might have still had, we had college debt floating around, you know, we had the mortgage debt floating around, like, you know, we had a little bit of credit card here and there, you know, all those types of different things. And um, so it's interesting, um, 
you know, I think listening to him kind of resonated with me and, and started chipping away at those pieces. But I think just like you, I didn't start with kind of the $1,000 baby step, right? There was definitely had more money. But I guess being a class facilitator, you must have seen kind of like the real world out there, right? Like where people, they're struggling to put that $1,000 together, right? Am I correct? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think probably more than half the people in the classes I taught we're at that step trying to scrounge up that thousand dollars. And so it's a totally different ball game when that's the case. And I think that's the value of that baby step one is, is a lot of people can't afford that. And that's what results in all their credit cards. So leading that class, you got to have those intimate conversations with them. You got to sit down with them, I had to sit down and try and figure out a way to help them manage their credit cards, get on calls with credit card companies. And so you really get to see kind of the in and outs of what that truly looks like. So, so let me ask you a question here. So, so what is the thousand dollar baby step? Yeah, we could jump right in. Right. So there's that, that's probably, we'll start with the good, right, Curtis. And maybe I'll just kind of read them out loud, Paul. Yeah. And, and it's a good question, right? Cause we've been talking about it. The first step is a thousand dollars in an emergency fund, Right. And then the second step is pay off all debt with the debt snowball method, right? Uh, smallest to largest, ignoring interest rate. Um, the third step is to build three to six months of expenses and savings, that that emergency fund, which, Paul, we talked about, right? A lot of these steps yeah. are part of financial dads, right? The basic fabric. Um, then the, f- the fourth step is invest 15% of your income into Roth IRAs or any pre-tax retirement plans, right? Uh, once again, something we have talked about and evangelized on financial dads. And then college funding. I don't know how many times we've talked about 529 plans and all the importance of that. And then, uh, you know, the crux of it, the the first episode we ever did, um, uh, I did with Jody, was, was pay off your home early, right? Get rid of it, which is always a contentious point with friends and family. But like I said, yep. it, it's a very personal thing. So for me, I don't argue about it anymore. I just kind of go down my path and, and in full transparency, Curtis, I've paid off my mortgage a few years ago and got through that. So, um, and I've never looked back, um, after doing it. And then the, the seventh step, Paul is build wealth and give, right? So really, you know, being able to, you know, have the money to, you know, not only, you know, to build that wealth beyond, right? So the whole, the whole concept is if you have no debt, you have more money in your income to put towards building wealth. I think that's the the key. And Curtis, I'll let you talk a little bit about that. And then Paul, you could jump back in with some additional questions. This is, this is good dialogue. Yeah, no, I, I think there's, there's a lot of good in all those baby steps. I think, uh, I think the way he, he talks about, you know, getting that thousand dollars that if you think about it, we probably got a thousand dollars of junk sitting around our house that we could go sell. So it's something that you attack super, super quick. And, and then with that, that next step of the three to six months, obviously that's just, that's just being prepared for what's out there in the world. And, and so I don't think, you know, there's anything there, but one of the things I really, really like is when you get to that, when you get to that end, he does, kind of talk about that uh, saving and giving and, and just the mindset that that creates and and that it's all for it's all for a greater purpose other than just this personal enrichment and I think that sort of mentality uh, can can lead to uh, 
can lead to you getting excited about money because it because it becomes uh, less about just accumulating all you want and more about hey how how can I uh, how can this help my family how can this help the people around me and so I think that's a really good mindset uh, that that he kind of espouses too. Yeah, and I think that all comes down to, and Paul, this is one of his other mantras, he talks about financial peace, right? Mm -hmm. So he talks about being at a point where money is is not um, is not a, a, a contentious thing. Money is not something that is always worried about, right? So the example he always gives is if you have, you know, $5,000 in emergency fund and you you know, you have a problem with your transmission in a car and you need to fix it, um, you, you, you could concentrate on getting it fixed. You don't have to concentrate on where the money's coming from, right? So I think that's where his, you know, he comes up with this financial peace kind of concept um, where, you know, he talks about, you know, if you follow these baby steps and and you adhere to them, you'll have financial peace in your life. And, and just as an aside, uh, our the previous host so paul and i've been doing this for quite some time i used to work with another uh co-host jody fisher and the reason why we started the podcast um when i look back and now that i'm thinking about it he was a big dave ramsey fan too like we found that out accidentally like through social media like he posted something about dave ramsey and i reached out to him i said jody you listen to dave ramsey that's so cool i do too and we've had another guest on our show several times will powell um, who lives in upstate New York, and another Dave Ramsey fan, right? He, he said something in a post that was very, uh, I think he said something about financial peace or baby steps or something like that. So um, he was, um, you know, I reached out to him. I said, are you a Dave Ramsey fan too? And he's like, yeah. So, so Paul, it is sort of contagious um, once mm. people start listening to him. Um, and I think even when I paid the mortgage off, I might have posted in a very cryptic way, um, baby step six accomplished or something, right? Or something very cryptic where both Jody and Will reached out to me and they were like, congratulations, right? On a private channel, right? <laughs> like, like they knew <laughs> what I was talking about, right? Um, so, but Paul, what other questions do you have? Because I think this is what so we want to do is kind of yeah. open up the dialogue and, and we'll definitely get into some more of the good and then we'll get into some of the bad, right? Some of the things, not necessarily bad, but we'll say differing of opinions as opposed yeah, to... Yeah, so uh, there are a couple there, right? One, uh, two things you said earlier in this episode here uh, caught my ear. And one was you gave people, rather the wedding gift, the book along with a check. And I was thinking, that's a little passive-aggressive of you. Like, damn, are you still talking to those people was my next question on that. And then uh, the other one you said... Yeah, you know, personal finance is personal, and there's no way to do it wrong. And uh, I actually disagree with you there. I, I think that, you know, just listening to both you and and Curtis here going back and forth, you know, there there are challenges, and people do make mistakes in it. So it sounds like it's an interesting topic, an interesting uh, individual to listen to. Maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll give it a little bit more attention. Yeah, I so. think. Um... Yeah, the, the 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 book. It's interesting you said that. So the book is uh, when I gave it to them. Both couples knew I was a Dave Ramsey person, like a, a a fan, right? And and so I I think they took it in the best light possible. Uh, they were okay. both young couples that were 
getting married and I, I wrote that in the card, right? Like I also also expressed it, right? Like, so I, I think it was because I'm, I'm actually, yeah, I'm actually, um, yeah, I definitely still speak to them. Um, okay. But yeah, he's, yeah, it's, it, it, but yeah, okay. Yeah, no, no, no. It, I definitely uh, still speak to both couples. Um, the, the, the Dave Ramsey isms and, and, and the, and, you know, beyond the financial components, he's just fun to listen to. You never know what he's going to say. I love when he rips into listeners for obvious mistakes. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff. And Curtis, I think you know what I'm talking about, right? You can hear yeah. some, you can hear a caller and as soon as you, they're not, you're not five minutes into the call listening to the podcast and you're like, Dave's going to let him have it. Right, yeah. like Dave's gonna like be Uncle Dave and just rip into this person, right? And so, what what's your take when it comes to kind of like listening to Dave? It just his style is very contagious. Oh yeah, the, he Dave is Dave is very entertaining to listen to, and and I will go. You know, I don't listen much to his show anymore, but I will go listen to uh, go on YouTube and look for the headlines, look for the little pithy headlines that he's got, and and I will still listen to those today and he he has a very good way of of simplifying it and so he can tear into these people and then it comes back to like this is what you need to do and i think most of the people that call in and they're getting ripped into it's either they it's either they've not been around them very long and so they're just being bold and calling in or i think there's some that just call in expecting to have that fight uh but but he definitely does not hold back and he definitely you kind of feel like you're just in this unfiltered conversation kind of, you know, sitting on a couch with a relative, you know, when he does that. And I think I think that's the reason he's became so popular is because people can relate to that and people can. It just creates this fandom, which is kind of what you've already been talking about, Paul, that they people just latch on to him and they love him. And I think. I think that's a good thing because I think it brings attention to personal finances and, and I think it makes people think about it and uh, kind of add to one of the other points he talks. I think his little saying is like, it's like, I can't remember exactly. It's like live like no one else. So you can live like no one else. Basically today, let's, you know, let's buckle down so that later on we can have those, you know, have those. And I think he's creating a good picture down the road for people and i think that that's that's inspiring and i think that's kind of what gets people excited too is they think i mean if i just do what dave says today down the road i'm going to be you know better off and i'm going to have this this awesome life you know? yeah i think you summed it up pretty well there curtis like uncle dave on the couch in the family telling you <laughs> you're a freaking moron what are you doing right and so so you have listened paul <laughs> yeah because he, he's he's talked like that right and it's so funny that uh, Curtis, you mentioned that, you know, I don't listen to him as in the podcast as much either. I, and maybe partly because of COVID and partly because, um, I forget, you know, for whatever reason, I'm not as tuned in as I used to be. Um, uh, but I do love kind of the tough love. And I remember when I started listening to him and I was really singularly focused financially on getting rid of the mortgage. Um, I actually downloaded like clips from YouTube that were specific to that topic, right, where he would explain, um, you know, the reasons why you want to do it, right, which which the reasons got even 
even better, right? It used to be able to, you know, you know, in, in North America, you know, in, in the United States, you used to be able to, you know, for your federal taxes, you used to be able to write off mortgage interest expense. And they've really decimated a lot of those write-offs, right, depending on what part of the country you're mm-hmm. in. So the picture got even better, right, in terms of, you know, reasons why you would want to do it. But it, it is kind of interesting that I stopped kind of listening to him. And that comes to another point, which I know we're kind of diverting, but this is good dialogue. Um, would I, I, I sometimes I struggle listening to the other personalities. They're not Dave, and that's part of the problem. I know his daughter is is filling in and doing stuff, and he's expanded his group of personalities. Do you have any favorites that you listen to, or are there other Ramsey personalities that you're listening to at this point? Because I really yeah. like when I tune in, I like to listen to Dave, and I don't get enough Dave. Maybe that's part of the reason I don't listen as much anymore because I don't get enough Dave anymore. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think. The rest of them are a little bit tough. I, I think his daughter does a good job. And I know my wife has listened to his daughter some and is, we have we have got those books. And so I do think there are people uh, that, that others can relate to. But uh, and then I've listened to I don't remember the personalities, but I was listening to kind of their entree leadership stuff. And and I think that's generally interesting content, but none of it has the same umph that Dave has. And I think that's going to be the problem they're going to continue to have i think they've tried to build that uh empire to not be just dave but dave is such a personality that that it's just going to kind of always revolve around him so it'll be interesting to see as dave uh probably still has time left in him uh quite a, I'm, i i guess he's going to sit in front of the mic as long as as long as he can still talk yeah. but uh but i think it could be interesting to see past Dave. I don't know that they, it's going to be a little bit difficult just because he's just so over overpowering and such a dynamic uh, personality. Yeah. That- oh, so it sounds like he says what everyone else is thinking, but everyone doesn't, everyone else doesn't say it because they're like, oh, I don't want to offend somebody. He doesn't give a bad word, whatever. Right. Beep. Uh, he just says it. That's kind of what it sounds like to me. Yeah. I think that would be fair. Right. Curtis. I, I yeah, think absolutely. he he definitely will uh, no filter, um, no cursing, right? Very Christian podcast, right? Um, so you know he does it in the nicest PG thirteen way possible, maybe. Okay, um, so uh, so he's always been like I said, he's always been fun to listen to. Now I probably will listen to him a little bit this week, uh, maybe on a couple of my commutes back and forth to the city, I might tune back in. I I still have it subscribed. I just don't listen as you know as much every once in a while if i'm at the gym uh and and actually in in, in all fairness i'll i'll listen to where he's kind of either by himself or he's you know i'll skip episodes where i know he's really not the person that's front and center i like the ones that he's front and center on so paul if you're gonna listen um and subscribe to dave um which i suggest you know uh you do um look for the episodes or you know look, even look for episodes like from five years ago Right. Like those are really the ones like where he's by himself on the mic, locked in a room and just ripping. Right. Curtis, would you agree? Like if you go back five years and and you listen to an episode from five years ago, that's probably the sweet spot of of kind of where I listen. Well, I'd say anytime you listen to him, you're going to get the same message that he was given when he was started. What in the 90s? Yeah. And I think. You could go listen in the 90s. You go listen today. The message is going to be pretty much exactly the same. So mm-hmm. there may be some differences. And like you said, they, they've introduced more personalities. But 
it's Dave's message has not changed a bit from the day he started. Yep. Yep. And and maybe we could get a little bit into the bad. Um, maybe not the bad. I'm going to say I can't, I don't want to say bad. Right. It's the kind of the difference of opinion. Um, credit cards. Right. So I use credit cards strategically. Um, I can never be on his show and do my debt-free scream. What that is, Paul, is you could either dial in and, and or you could go in person to Tennessee and, and you could do your debt-free scream and get interviewed by Dave. Um, I would never qualify because I'm disqualified because I still use credit cards, right? His whole mantra is no credit cards, no credit cards whatsoever, right? They're all chopped up, put in a blender, put in a shredder, and you don't have them, right? So I disagree with that concept, we've done podcasts here, Curtis, where we talk about uh, strategic use of credit cards and how they could be beneficial. Um, you know, and yep. I'm not a I'm not a miles guy. I mean, I have miles, but that's not it. I, you buy, you know, I use credit cards for warranty and other other things. But like, I, I think you mentioned it as well. Do you use credit cards as well, Curtis? Yeah, we we use credit cards, and I think the point that he makes on credit cards that's right is that there's statistics out there that you overspend what you would if you were spending cash but i think where he goes wrong is he will then advocate using a debit card which you're still using the card which psychologically you're still overspending similar to what you would with a credit card and go ahead i was gonna gonna say well to to his point though uh, i haven't listened to the gentleman but if you're using a debit card and you're putting that card in that machine right then and there it's coming out of your account immediately so i can understand why um psychologically that you know it came out you go look at your app and the bank account it's gone but the same token i agree with both of you you know if i'm getting one two percent three percent cash back on a purchase and i'm paying that credit card off immediately i've never paid interest fees so i agree with you all that it's a it's a tool used properly yeah i I think yeah, and Curtis, to your point, I, I and Paul, this is where he's described it on the show, right? Like picture walking into Costco and buying that $3,000 TV, right? So whether you use a credit card or a debit card, there's still this veneer on top. Walk into Costco with three grand in 50s and roll and that TV like up to the, to, the, to, the, to the register and, and pay in cash. <laughs> and it, it's a different mindset, you know, at least for me. I, I can't speak for everyone on the call. But for me, it is – it's it's painful, right? If I had to peel off three grand for a TV, it would make me rethink: Do I really need a three thousand dollar TV, right? Or you mm-hmm. know, maybe I just need a thousand dollars, whatever that is, right? But I think psychologically, the power of actually handing cash from one you know out of your pocket to somebody else, I think that's what his that's emphasis is. Yeah, okay. and Curtis, would you agree with that? I think that's kind of what he's been talking about as well, which is a great call out, right? I think it's, yeah. whether it's plastic, whether it's a credit card or a debit card, there's there's less pain because it's not direct. Psychologically, that money's not coming out. But right. but it is, to Paul's point, you know, it is coming directly out of your debit account, right? But it's still not like, okay, I'm going to go to the bank. I'm going to pull all this money out and, and go buy something, right? And that's where it gets painful, at least for me. 
and, and I I would agree, but I still use credit cards. <laughs> I still use them, and I probably do overspend, Curtis. I, I I'm, I'm guilty of that. I'll definitely <laughs> be guilty of that. I'll see something, I'll say ah, I'll buy it. But if I had to pull the seventy five dollars out for it or fifty dollars and and actually physically hand it to somebody, I might rethink it. You know, I think. We, we didn't talk about this earlier, but he's a big proponent of the envelope system, which is, you know, where you put your money in an envelope and and you, you know, you only spend the cash that's in there. And, and he's actually in some ways gone away or talked less about that just because, you know, the use of cards has become so prevalent. But I think that's way more valuable than a use of a debit, debit card, because with a debit card, I, I, I don't disagree that that you it does still hurt more with a debit card than it would with a credit but i still think you lose some of that ump of like you said pulling that cash out and having to fork over that money because there's just a there's just an extra level of pain of like of, of seeing that wallet it you know go down in sides and and realizing what you're actually what you're actually doing uh, and and so i think i think the what I like to what I like to tell the people that we were in the class with is, well, I can't tell you that I don't use credit cards. If you've ever had a late fee because, uh, or you've ever not paid the full thing off, you've already proven that you're not capable of making the right decision when you get in crunch. And if if you see yourself struggling with that, you should not have a credit card in your wallet. And that was kind of the that was kind of the differentiation that I made from where Dave was. Psychologically, he is right that it can have a pull over you, uh, but there's enough consumer protection and benefits and other things that just convenience that they provide that I couldn't go all the way saying don't have it. Yeah, and I think that the one thing, and that's all that's all well said. The one thing that popped into my mind as you guys were talking, I think we don't do that enough as a culture with the bigger purchases. Like imagine walking into a car dealership and say, you know, I want that car. So I walk in with 25,000 in cash, right? It's so much easier to kind of sign, right? And, or, or, or electronically even send the money if you're gonna pay cash for a car, right? Or, or even college, right? Even worse, right? Kids are signing up for debt like crazy because there's no pain in it, right? They're not going and saying, okay, here's $120,000 for education for four years. I'll just sign this paper and it just is in the background. But in the end, I'm going to wind up spending double, right? And we've talked about that here on the, on the show, Curtis. So, you know, I think that, I think we're all trying to say the same thing where, yeah. you know, credit cards, we think if done with knowledge and done strategically and used as a tool, um, I think I've described it on the on the on the show before. I I call credit cards they're like chainsaws, right? If you don't know how to operate a chainsaw, you'll slice into your knee, right? Like, like with the chainsaw, right? But they're very dangerous from that perspective. If you don't use credit cards right, um, but to his point, I guess he's trying to stress, you know, most people can't use credit cards, right? Uh, strategically or effectively or with common sense. So that's why he shut shuts them down, but. Uh, that's definitely a point I disagree on is I, I use credit cards and I'll continue to use them. So um, maybe we'll switch gears a little bit. You, you talked about, Curtis, about telling companies not to take the stimulus. I missed that part, but maybe you could elaborate on that a little bit. I, I, I It doesn't yeah. surprise me as a Dave Ramsey-ism, but, but it is interesting to hear. I, what did he say about that? 
Yeah, so that's that's one of the ones that I heard uh, because I was listening to his Entree Leadership podcast, and you know we were, uh, you know I'm I work in a business and we were making decisions about what we were going to do. So I was listening to it, and and I when he said that it just kind of blew my mind. And and basically his whole reason for saying that is that you're taking on debt, and the government's going to screw you. And, and so because people were taking it on with this assumption that they would get it forgiven and his, his whole thing was basically, well, you can't trust the government to actually do that. And it, it just goes back to his mantra of absolutely no debt whatsoever. And I felt like it was, and, and he, and he also then talked about how, well, they weren't going to be taking it. They weren't going to be doing this. And I just didn't feel like that was fair to all the small businesses struggling in the middle of the pandemic uh, to tell them you, you'd be better off shutting your doors than taking this money from the government. You'd be better off, you know, going essentially, you know, essentially no longer having a business than taking this money from the government. And I felt like that was going one step too far with kind of I felt like he backed himself into a corner of saying you can't have debt. And I felt like he almost just made this conscious decision that this was something that you had to, uh, he had to hold firm on that point. Yeah, that is interesting. I know that, you know, and, and Paul, if you listen, if you listen to his podcast, you know, he's been talking for years. He, he's bought buildings and real estate all with cash, right? So I, it's almost kind of like, uh, how do I put it? It sounds, Curtis, like it's almost like he, he was sort of, um, I'm trying to think of the word, but like I did it. So, you know, uh, you should, you, you should have all done it this way. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't be in this spot, right? If you had just listened and did it this way, but, but I, I, yeah, I, I get it. That's probably not a great message for struggling businesses. No one saw what saw COVID coming. No one. Right. And I think, you know, and, and I think no one, no one, and we still don't know what's ahead. Right. Um, so, you know, not to take the stimulus. That's interesting. I don't know if, um, yeah, I would agree with you. Uh, companies are struggling, probably need to, you know, uh, use, uh, that's another tool to use to kind of stay afloat, right? Uh, Paul, any opinion on that in terms of the, the stimulus and that view? It's an interesting approach. I, I actually find myself listening to both of you uh, back and forth here. I do find I agree a lot with with Dave, I'm, I'm a big cash guy. Uh, I never used to use credit cards. I, da- I do now use them strategically, as we talked about in previous episodes. Um, and you can't trust the government. I, I you know, from uh, not reclaiming the money and things like that. I, I think that's very interesting. And there, there's precedent for that thought. If you look at some of the near, maybe predatory college loan programs that the government has, that Paul, you and I did in a previous episode uh, a few ago. Right? You, you got to be careful. You got to understand what you're signing up for, and that's um, quite quite compelling. And him buying buildings with cash, I'm sure it was actually just a, ch- a bank check, but this is the same effect, right? The money's gone. So really interesting. I, I, I think I'll have to uh, have to put some time on it and, and listen to him a little bit more. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, no, that that's that's great observations, right? I, I think we'll switch to the other thing that I think is a difference of opinion. I'll stop using the word bad, right? Well, well, you know, I think it's really 
he uses an investment rate of return of 12%, um, which this day and age, um, just too high. I, I, I think it's just too high. Um, you know, he talks about the long term, talks about this, talks about that, but that's a real tough percentage. Um, and, and, and if he were on this podcast with us, he'd, he'd call us more, you know, morons and rip us apart. And he'll have some level of data that will prove out that over the long haul, you know, you're looking at 12%. But, um, Curtis, I'm not sure your opinion on it. And, and Paul, your general opinion, I'll start with you, Curtis. What is your thought in terms of this? I think just yeah. that rate of return is just way too high, right? I think 20 years ago, maybe, right? When I was a kid, I had a paper route and and I had I used to put money in the bank and I used to get five and a quarter percent interest on a bank account, right? We haven't seen that in decades now, right? Like it's crazy how bad, like, you know, so I don't, you know, the interest rates are, right? So I don't know how people can go with that rule of thumb. But I'll start with you, Curtis, and then we'll jump in with you, Paul. What's your thought when it comes to that advice of relying on a 12% rate of return? Right. Well, he he gets that from looking back at what the best mutual funds have returned over a 10-year period. And to me, the problem with that assumption is that you're going to be able to pick the best mutual funds. And I I was actually looking up some stats for for one that I just did, and it talked that actively managed funds as a whole sector underperform the market financially, and that only 1.5% of hedge funds uh, beat the market. And so this assumption that you're going to pick today what's going to perform at 12% over the next 10 years, I think is a big time fallacy. And I think, um, I don't know, to me, it's just kind of weird that he sticks to this number because to me, it's, I I don't understand what he has to gain. But if you look historically, you're going to be very hard to find just the overall market getting 12, you can't find the overall market getting 12%. And there's been a lot of other people that have defaulted to a lot lower numbers as, as far as more safe numbers for going forward. Um, so yeah, I think this kind of it's kind of one of those things where I think he he looked at a ten year at one point, and you can definitely find ones that are doing that. But I don't think that he's I don't think that it's a uh, it's an assumption that you're going to be able to pick those ones that are actually doing twelve percent. And I think that's a that's a bad assumption. Yeah, and if they're going to sustain it. Right. right. Like, you know, just because they've done 12% over the last 10, are they going to do 12% over the next 10? Right. That That's where it gets even more risky and interesting. And then people are being told, and I think he's also said this in retirement, you know, to keep investing heavy into equities, right, and into the riskier stuff. So I think that's another tie to it where, you know, when you go into retirement, um, do you really want to put that much risk on the portfolio at that point? So, and I think he talks about that as well, Curtis, is, you know, keeping keeping in those funds when you go into retirement, not dialing back as much as others will recommend going right. into safer securities. So, um, but Paul, what's your take when it comes to that advice, right? So that, that's pretty common advice. If you Google 
Dave Ramsey, 12% rate of return. You'll see it. Like People will dispute it. It's been disputed in the Wall Street Journal and Money Magazine, and people have kind of gone against that principle. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. And then also so, heavy investing uh, in retirement to try to chase that number. Yeah, so here's how I do it. Um, 12%, I, I think that is high. We, we've seen that time and time again, um, especially over the long term of the market. When I do my financial models, I generally use seven and a half, eight percent as a rate of return. And I, I think that's a safer number. I think that's sort of the consensus number over time. The thing I do is when I do those models with my 401k and my wife's plans and everything, I, I have everything together in one file. I then every six months, I redo it. So I look at where we are from a value point of view at that time. And I, but I still keep the seven and a half or eight percent range, so I adjust it so it keeps adjusting the goals over time. So if they went down a lot, then I'll see that in my ten-year plan because I I do it out generally over ten, twelve years. Um, you know when I'm closer to retirement. So I have my plan set for today, going out to when I expect to retire, and I keep adjusting it every six months. That's that's how I've been doing it. And that, that does tie into the retirement question there. And it's interesting. Uh, one of my accounts, Paul, I, I took all my old 401ks from some companies. I combined them together into, I guess, it's like one of those robo-advisors. And it's been doing pretty well for me. I, I like it. And for a long time, it had me as you know underperforming and not ready for retirement with just that value. And... Now, maybe because of my advanced age, which I don't feel that advanced, but anyway, it, it's showing me I'm actually being too aggressive in the equity side of it. So it, it was interesting. Um, the way I would answer that is if you have, if you're fortunate enough to have the funds generating the 7.5% or whatever over time, and then anything over that, maybe that's the portion you keep a little bit more aggressive. Uh, I, I tend to be conservative in that approach, but so you keep what you have to a certain degree ratio, maybe it's 80%, and then maybe 20% you keep a little bit more aggressive. That's how I would thread that needle. Yeah, and I, I think it's logical, right? And, and it's well said, Paul. I, I think Dave would dispute it. Right. Uh, I think that he would insist that 12 percent is the number. And I think that's part of the problem. Right. That mm -hmm. that we've seen. Um, and so I agree with you. I don't look at that number. It's to me, it's unattainable. Um, and, and I think it's 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 too high. And I think we all agree that it's too high. And um, but, you know, you have to me, I just like you, Paul, trying to take that reasonable approach to with reasonable expectations of what you're going to get out of the return. Uh, Curtis, any final comments on that? Yeah, no, the only thing I would, yeah, in, in talking about his allocation, he does, um, I actually just found this the other day, he does allocate everything to stocks, not to bonds, not to any other thing, um, and and it's basically a 25-25 uh, uh, allocation of like aggressive international growth, you know, type stocks, and so I don't necessarily have a problem with that allocation. But even if you look at the market, it's not done that 12%. It's done. You can look at in, at a period of time and you can get anywhere from 9 to 11%. But I 
you you really can't get to a 12% unless you're looking at a mutual fund. And I think that may be the piece where he's where he's at is he's looking at these mutual funds and seeing some of these active managers have have outperformed. And so I think that's where he's using or getting that number. But again, I just don't agree with the assumption that you're going to be able to pick those uh, for the next you know 10 years. You're going to be able to pick the right ones because they're typically not the same ones that are performing uh, at the top for it different 10 year periods yeah and i think okay go ahead paul yeah i was going to say at at the uh, kind of at the highest level i think if i look at you know my my retirement it's i think it's even now it's 65 35 is that the right that adds to 100 yeah it's 65 35 uh to get me to the 100 percent i i could never see putting everything into one single class right all equities right just never made any sense to me. Um, I've always been taught to diversify. Um, and, and so for me, I, I don't think I would ever do it just in general, right? Um, I think there are people that will, will, will go all in on 100% equities. And I, I don't want to say there's a right or wrong to it. I think it comes down to comfort level and risk tolerance. And for me, um, I think that blend of, of 65-35 is, is good. I, I, I think, quite frankly, it used to be more the other way. Right where you know early on uh, would be thirty five percent equities and the rest in fixed income, kind of afraid to lose the money uh, that's been took a lot to earn. Uh, but I think I've I've come around realizing that you know you do have to be somewhat of a risk taker. But I don't think I would agree to put everything into kind of a single asset class like just everything equities, even if it was split between international, you know, you know, mid cap and 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 high cap, you know, or you know, value added funds or whatever. Um, equities are equities to me. And, you know, I don't know if I'd roll those dice to put it all 100% in. But Paul, you go ahead. Yeah, so there are two points. One just triggered, and that is when you're looking at equities as well, you have to look at the dividend yield on some of these stocks that do provide dividends. So some of the dividends are 5%. So right off the bat, you're getting that. And historically, over many, many years, it doesn't mean, of course, that, you know, a global pandemic isn't going to change it. But the point is, you can factor that into your equation. So if the overall market's going up and you're getting a 5% dividend, it's something to, to understand and look at it. Uh, Barron's recently did a whole cover story on this, uh, maybe, a, maybe a month or two ago. It was a pretty good article. Uh, it was very interesting. And then uh, the other point I had, I had a question for both of you. So we were talking about this fictional 12%. So if you have 12%, if you have um, 12% returns, sorry, if you have, say, I don't know, 20 grand in an account in equities, now all of a sudden you, it's up and it's going up, or maybe it's a mutual fund, and you hit 8%, 9%, 12%. Are you looking at your accounts and, oh my goodness, I, I got to pull it out? because I'm worried it's going to go down again or are you letting it ride? I think for me um yeah, I don't time the market. That's not my thing. Um so I don't say okay, it hit a certain point, I'm going to pull it out. Um I have friends that do that and they do really well at it. But you really have to be a sophisticated investor. Um we have um I I personally have and I've mentioned him on this on this show on my sh- on our podcast Curtis, I have a financial superhero who's incredible with money, just incredible, right? And and so he could do that, right? He he day trades and he's able, he has different strategies that he invokes and 
he can do all kinds of really cool things with money, right? That I can never do, right? So for me, the the short answer is I don't, I wouldn't pull the money out, right? I would let it ride. I think it comes down to me for risk that, you know, if I need the money somehow, if it's in an account where I might need that money, I don't want it in 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 a in a, in a risky place because I could need the money at the lowest point, you know. So if I bought, you know, ten thousand dollars and I, you know, of of a stock, and you know, and it goes down to five, Murphy's Law, the next day, I need that five grand for something. Or I need ten grand, right? And now I don't have it. I only have five, right? And I would have to sell. And as soon as I pull the money out, uh, a few days later, it goes back up to ten, right? I, I don't have real good luck with that, right? So I think I always try to think of that worst case when it comes to that kind of thing. So for me, I would let it ride. Curtis, how about yourself? Do you do you do you do you watch it and time it to kind of pull the money out, or do you let it let it stay? No, I I let it ride. I think. It kind of goes back to what I mentioned earlier of you have the majority of active fund managers are not beating the market. And so I know that there are those people that can. And so if that's your thing, that's great. But for me, uh, I don't want to pay that much attention to it either. It just provides too much anxiety on that front. And I'm, and I'm not risk averse. I will say I am one of the ones I am hundred percent in stocks. Uh, now I do have um, some REITs and I do have, uh, you know, I do have some kind of uh, a little bit of money in like gold or cryptocurrencies as like a hedge against some of that. But but it's it, to me, I just don't want to pay that close attention to it because it's just uh, it's something that's for later on. And I think if I'm paying attention to it, it becomes something that is more at the forefront of my mind and it becomes uh, more of a game to try and access it earlier. And so I would just rather have it out of sight, out of mind. Yep. Yeah, cool. I, I didn't mean to stir the pot. I just, you know, since we're on the topic, I figured I would a little. Yeah. No, that's cool. No, that's what yeah, I think that was a great call out and great question. I, I think before we close the podcast, I, I'll leave it to you, Curtis. Is there anything else that stands out from a Dave perspective that you would cite as really good or kind of a differing of opinion? Yeah, no, I, I think we've hit on the majority of them. I did have one thing I was I was thinking about. Uh, this is kind of a completely different subject, but I just wanted to ask you guys this question. But he talks about uh, doing no debt for college, and we've seen the debt load that kids are at these days. And, and since, he, since he started talking about that, you know, I don't know what, but I'm guessing the, the cost of a college education has gone up you know, triple, quadruple, probably even more than 10 times, maybe. I mean, probably even more than that when, uh, where it was when he first started. And, you know, we are actually don't have any children. We're about to have a child. And so, uh, I've been thinking about this since I was curious, uh, how you guys handled with, with your children and what your thoughts were on, on having debt for a higher education. Want to go first, Paul? Yeah, I think for me, I'm just about there, Curtis. In terms of, I've been dollar cost averaging into the 529 plan pretty consistently since the day they were born. Um, always with the mindset, uh, and once again, my financial superhero told me, um, 
He goes, you're paying. Don't think you're going to get, you know, uh, this is, you know, it's going to be a free ride in some way, shape or form. You're going to wind up paying. Right. Um, you know, and so I've always kind of just been in that mindset of just putting the money away and, and just, and, and just not watching it, watching it enough to make sure it's in the right blended mix. But, um, but always with the hat of, you know, depending on the school choice that my kids are going to want, um, I may or may not be able to pay for all, right? But at least they'll be able to pay for some. So I've always kind of had that mindset. So for me, I think that the biggest advice I would give is, is, is you know, as soon as you're, uh, you know, as soon as a kid is born, you put the money, you start that 501, uh, the, the 529, and then try to consistently dollar cost average the same number, if not more, every year into it. And I did that for both my kids, and and it, it takes the edge off. So for me, um, you know, we'll see where it takes me. But that that's probably the biggest piece of advice. I agree. I think my uh, Paul and I went to the same university. Um, right now, it's um, from what we had to pay for room and board versus what it is today. Um, I think it's quadruple. It's four mm. times what it was when we went to school. We're not that old. We're old, <laughs> no. but we're not that well, old. So well, it, well, it's crazy. Generally, goes up more than the rate of inflation every year, and it has historically over the last, you know, thirty years. So it's always going up higher than the rate of inflation. Yeah. So, so my my point on that, Curtis, I totally agree with Fagan there on the five twenty nine plan. The one thing that, you know, as I've you know gotten older and we've learned a lot more, and even just doing this podcast, we we do a lot of research and we read things and learn things. We had some done a couple topics on the whole life insurance policies, and I remember when we had our first child and someone said to me about getting a whole life policy on them. Like, oh my God, that's morbid. What 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 are you talking about? And it was really just my financial immaturity. You know, if you can get you can get a very uh, well coverage, inexpensive plan on a young kid, an infant, right? And pay it off over time, that policy. And then that whole life policy is now a tool that they can leverage. They can, you can borrow against it. You can actually cash it out and have money for college. There are a lot of things you could do with it. So the 529 plan is really great. But there are other things to look at and think about. Um, again, I wish someone had explained to me that scenario and how it can be leveraged. It's not just a, a morbid thought. And that, that's probably the biggest thing that I've learned over the years, that there are tools you can use other than 529s and such. So. Yeah, I, I think it comes down to uh, I, but I think the same message, Curtis, uh, at least from from two from two guys, two dads that are close to Paul's kids are 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 almost done. Mine are are, are almost there. Um, whatever vehicle you choose to save in, you got to save. <laughs> Do it yeah. incrementally, right? I, you know that's the biggest message is is it's a lot less painful over putting a little bit in over 18 years as opposed to waiting till they're 16 and saying, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Right. And, and don't, and I wouldn't go in with the mindset that you're going to be able to pay for it all. Right. Like I would go in with the mindset of I'm going to save as much as I can and then we'll take it from there. And, and that's yeah. how, you know, that's where I think, um, 
that's the mindset. Because if you if you if you're trying to think about paying for it all, um, it's going to be an impossible task because you don't know how much money you're going to need. You don't know what type of university they're going to go to. Like you don't know any of these things, right? I mean, maybe you do. Maybe you're, you know. Um, but maybe you know. Maybe that's another podcast for us, a joint podcast. I'd love to do that with you again, Curtis. Like uh, we would love to, you know, maybe dive into that topic. We could riff on kind of the college savings. We've done it several times, and happy to kind of do it again as another topic if you're up for it at some point. Yeah, no, I think I think that's you know we're planning on saving for it, but. I just thought it was an interesting concept with Dave talking about no debt. And I definitely think I definitely agree of, of not taking on debt for that college and that you need to be, uh, there are cheaper options. And so you don't need to go to those super expensive universities, but it's because of like, like you said, uh, Paul, with it going up higher inflation every year and sometimes substantially more than that, that it's in, that's an interesting thing of because it becomes it's becoming harder and harder to to get out of college without some sort of debt or having to take breaks to be able to save up money to pay for it. So I uh, just thought that that was a, an interesting little addition there. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I think maybe we'll kind of jump into kind of the recaps and stuff. So I think for me today, I'll, I'll kind of focus on the good. Uh, for me personally, it's it it was the baby steps in the mortgage payoff, right? Those were the two things I I said at the beginning of the podcast, and I'll say it at the end. Those were the two things that were game changing for me from Dave. Um, you know, uh, Paul, I'll let you kind of get the next word, and then Curtis will finish off with you, and then we'll kind of wrap things up. Yeah, so you know, it sounds like an interesting series, uh, Dave. I think I will give it a listen. Uh, personally, I think I. A lot of those steps just innately. It's how I'm kind of wired. You know, I am a cash guy. I prefer that. I've deviated a little. But it, it sounds like, you know, like Uncle Leo's going to give you the hard life, facts of life on the couch one day. And you know what? Unfortunately, a lot of people need that. I think their parents perhaps never taught them, but they had no one to teach them and no one to. Be know how to be responsible and understand the finances. And that's part of what the three of us are all about, is trying to help educate people. And Dave is probably just maybe a little bit louder voice. So it is interesting. Thank you. Very cool. Yeah, Curtis, uh, what's, your, what's your final thoughts on? Yeah, Dave, Dave is a huge net positive for the industry as a whole. And Dave is someone who I would say if you – people that are starting out, people that are starting from square one, I doubt there's anyone who's influenced more people than Dave has at that step, just from uh, the reach that he has. I, I'd be interested to see, um, kind of see that, see numbers like that if there's something like that existed. But the the way that I kind of look at it is I feel like Dave is a good introduction and there's not anything that Dave does that's going to hurt you or going to um, be a negative in the long run. Because if you do everything Dave says, you're going to end up in a really good spot. But I think Dave is just the introduction and there's so much more diversity of thought in the industry as a whole that you shouldn't stop it, Dave, that you should go past to the next steps and look at other people and see what other options there are because everyone's situation is different and everyone uh, brings different things to the table. And I think 
that you can learn and gain more from from seeing other viewpoints that are out there. Very cool. Very well said. Well, guys, this was awesome today. I really enjoyed our discussion, and I'm really looking forward to the next one. Hopefully, we'll pick a topic and do this again. This is our first for everyone who uh, might have skipped to the end for whatever reason. Uh, this is a joint <laughs> podcast between the Financial Dads podcast and Delve Into Money podcast uh, with Paul Fagan and Paul Becker and, and, and Curtis Haney. Thank you so much for joining us today on this joint episode. I hope you enjoyed this type of content. I would encourage you to go subscribe to the Financial Dads podcast. To wrap up here on the Delve Into Money podcast, as we like to say, Healthy financial decisions are intentional financial decisions, so let's make more healthy and intentional financial decisions starting today. See you next week.